morning, everyone, and a lovely warm welcome to Left After Breakfast here on 3CR. Susanna with you, and I'll be joined a little later on by the rest of the Left After Breakfast team. So stay tuned before we do anything with Left After Breakfast this morning. We all sent a cheerio to the bagman. Remember the old cheerios? When I was a kid, it was on the radio every week, sending cheerios to people. So here's a cheerio, comrade bagman. Cheerio. And I hope you out there, listener, are joining in with me. Come on, after me. One, two, three. Cheerio, bagman. I couldn't hear you. Sorry, let's do it again. One, two, three. Cheerio, bagman. Good on you, listener. Before I start on anything, we'll have to say farewell to Moss Cass. Vale Moss, the former Minister for Environment and Conservation in the Whitlam government. It was succeeded in that position by Dr Cairns. I remember Moss Cass trying to prevent the flooding of Lake Pedder but he did lay the groundwork to end sand mining on Fraser Island and he achieved government protection and Australia's first World Heritage listing for the Great Barrier Reef. It was under Moss Cass in that Midland government that 3CR obtained its licence, the first of its kind in Australia, and that was in October 1975. If it had been just a couple of weeks later, we would not have got a licence at all. I can't see Malcolm Fraser handing over a licence to what he would have called a bunch of lunatic fringe rat bags. A small song for Moss. You left this world a better place. Of all the money that ahead I had I spent it in good company And all the harm I've ever done Alas, it was to none but me And all I've done for one softly call good night and joy be to you all of all the comrades that e'er I had 
sorry for my going away And all the sweethearts that e'er I had They wish me one more day to stay But since it fell into my lot That I should rise and you should not I'll gently rise and softly call Good night and joy be to you all Fill to me the parting glass And drink a health whatever before Then gently rise and softly call Good night and joy be to you all Good night and joy be to you all That's a beautiful song and we all of us would like to sing that to many of our friends and comrades who have gone before us. Golly, I hope someone sings that for me one day. Ah, good morning. You're listening to 3CR, the only radio left. We have been talking about elections and how they're coming up very soon. Let's have a little bit of history. Let's cast our minds back to 2013. In 2013, unlike the rest of the world, Australia had come through the GFC without suffering a recession. At the end of August of that year, net debt was a bit over $161 billion, and monthly hours worked for employed persons averaged 141.42 hours. After three terms of a coalition government, we have endured our first recession in 30 years. Our net debt is $606 billion and monthly hours worked per employed persons have plummeted to 125 hours. Wages are stagnant, adjusted for inflation. Australian wages actually declined in 2021 by 0.3%, the worst outcome in seven and a half years. Penalty rates have been abolished for so many low-paid workers and casual and contract work is increasingly the norm. And back then, in 2013, the rollout of the nation building fibre to the premises national broadband network was underway. But then, along came Tony Abbott, who thought that the internet was an expensive white elephant, only used for playing games, and he trashed it. Just last week, the Minister for the Digital Economy, that's the hapless... Jane Hume, announced the Morrison government has set a goal and is unrolling a plan for Australia to be a top 10 digital economy and society by 2030. Yeah, well, good luck with that. We could have been so already. We currently rank 61st in the world for broadband speeds. In 2013, we had a price on carbon that was causing polluters to innovate to cut emissions, a renewable energy target that was driving investment and we were considered a world leader in action against climate change. Now we're known as the colossal fossil. Our arrogant disregard brings specific leaders to tears, literally. We pay people who promise not to cut down trees are never going to cut down. We pay farmers not to run stock when they'd cut herds anyway. 
Polluters continue in their merry way, making up numbers about emissions that bear no resemblance at all to the truth. Back in 2013, we had a car industry. Remember that? But the coalition, of course, hate unionised workplaces, so they told them to piss off. They said it was about subsidies, but that's obviously not the case, as the government found plenty to subsidise the fossil fuel, the agriculture and armaments industries. Imagine if we'd retained that infrastructure and expertise to build the vehicles of the future so we weren't so reliant on what happens elsewhere or on our oil reserves that for some obscure reason Angus Taylor wants to store in the USA. We used to have a mining super profits tax too, which was just about to start paying dividends as mines move from construction to production. Not only did the coalition government abolish that tax, now many of the mining companies get away with paying no tax at all. We used to have a good reputation on the international stage. Now we're known as liars. And our crazy minister for offence is determined to start a war with China. In 2013, we had a female prime minister and we subjected her to the very worst a misogynistic patriarchal society could offer, and for all the world to see. And the treatment of women has only gone downhill from there. The only positive thing to come out of the coalition's term in office since 2013 was when the voters dragged the government, kicking and screaming, to marriage equality, and the Conservatives have been looking for revenge ever since. But look, listener, it's time. It's time to call quits. It's time to stop. It's time to get rid of the most inept, most incompetent, most offensive, most dishonest, least intelligent, least compassionate, least prepared government this country has ever had the misfortune to endure. 3CR And dear listener, we will be joined shortly by Bucko, Ask Bucko, he'll tell ya, and also by the BL from the bush. We'll hear from 3CR resident historian Glenn about why history is so important, and we'll try and track down something of the oh-so-elusive bagman. But I'd like to put in here one of my favourite little songs. Another recent anniversary was that of Alistair Hewlett, who left us in 2010. I used to follow Alistair around the music scene in Fitzroy. He was good value. His band was fantastic. And I loved his Ballad of 75, all about, of course, the destruction of the Whitlam government. But this song is about Maralinga, the plains of Maralinga, and the nuclear bomb tests that were held there in land that was lived on by people, but people who weren't counted. Remember 
remember in the old days how we sucked up to the palms. We stood and sang their anthem like a pack of Uncle Toms, and they bought our beef and wool. So we let them test our bombs in the heartland of Australia, where the black skin nation roams. There was nothing in the papers but what was being done. If Robert Menzies knew by Christ he wasn't letting on, but he loved his flaming knighthood, that great Australian sun, much more than he loved the land where the pigeon chatter run. Out on the plains of Marlinga, what happened there was a bloody disgrace. Out on the plains of Marlinga was total disregard for the black Australian race. No one asked the local people if they thought it was okay. If you haven't got a job, mate, you haven't got a say. Oh, and if we lost a few, they were only in the way. If they'd been white, then bet your backside that be holy shit to pay. Out on the plains of Marlinga, what happened there was a bloody disgrace. Out on the plains of Marlinga, was total disregard for the Black Australian race. Said fallout was harmless, they knew that was a lie, but it never slowed them up when there was people come close by who tell a story how they saw a big flash in the sky. Then they all got sick and one by one began to slowly die. Out on the plains of Marlinga, what happened there was a bloody disgrace. Out on the plains of Marlinga, was total disregard for the black Australian race. The sun set on the empire, then he never thought it would. And now your Uncle Sam controls the neighborhood. In the name of peace and justice, he swears he's Robin Hood. But in Chile and El Salvador, the truth is understood. He's got bureaucrats and technocrats, diplomats and spies. Working for the Pentagon, that it's bloody nose and eyes. But you only feel disheartened until you realize when the workers of the world unite, what twice the bloody size. Out on the plains of Marlinga, what happened there was a bloody disgrace. Out on the plains of Marlinga, was total disregard for the black Australian race. Out on the plains of Marlinga, what happened there was a bloody disgrace. Out on the plains of Marlinga, was total disregard for the whole human race. It seems almost unreal when you think about it now. Five tests of nuclear fission bombs in South Australia. What on earth was the government thinking of? 
Well, not of us, that's for sure. But thank you, Alastair Hewlett. It's a fabulous song. Alistair sadly died the way a number of men I knew from those years ago died from liver failure brought on by um, a particular lifestyle. And those old mates and comrades of mine who are still around and still listening, I'm glad your livers have held up. Uh, Good morning, you're listening to 3CR, the only radio left. And it's time to hear from Bucko with his update on the state of play in our country. Yeah, ask Bucko, he'll tell ya. Australia is heading into an election. The Prime Minister has contracted the coronavirus with some of his Cabinet designated as close contacts. Unbelievably, Barnaby Joyce, as Deputy Prime Minister, is nominally in charge of the country. Scott Morrison's been running an undeclared election campaign since, or no one's sure when it started. It has involved a lot of dressing up, a few industrial accidents, and a lot of owlish looking at maps. Several old map shots have been repurposed and used again. The best selection is from 2019, where he was photographed looking at a map of Kangaroo Island. The pic has been cropped to remove the map's title so that we can't see it's an old shot. Ah, such is a marketer's life. His attempt to pull off another miraculous election victory this time round seems to be on a knife's edge. He does have a large slush fund of It's described as decisions taken but not announced, with which to buy votes. With this government, there is no certainty they'll lose. They might discover that Anthony Albanese is a long-time Russian sleeper agent, or perhaps his father was Chinese. Who knows what a fevered imagination can concoct. He certainly shouldn't rely on his troops. It can seem cruel to judge a book by its cover, but we can only comment on what we see. So our Prime Minister is caught up in a whirlwind of performance art. He does go missing whenever there's a crisis and he's keen to dodge responsibility. This week he commented on the New South Wales floods by prefacing his remarks with the line that the New South Wales Government would have the lead on the response. He gave that battle up without a fight, didn't he? Our Treasurer has wasted a lot of our taxes on supporting his mates at the big end of town. He's attempted to remove consumer protections against the finance sector and, worst of all, he seemingly cannot count. He's also against any more free stuff for the freeloading public. And as inflation starts to bite, we note that people on JobKeeper or JobSeeker, I think it's called, are only given a rise in September and March every year. So they're already doing it tougher than they were in September. Our Defence Minister has managed to put us in a position where we have no practically usable naval ships, no submarines and lots of imaginary tanks. We recently bought 127 of them, but it's fair to ask why, as we're surrounded by several wide oceans. Tanks are usually deployed against an enemy who's invading our territory. They're not due till 2025, but expect delays, probably measured in years. Mr Dutton also has an unhealthy obsession with our largest trading partner. He continually attacks China with every breath. His latest, out of left-field brainwave, was to start a GoFundMe page to support Australians through the floods, as long as they're restricted to Queensland. He wants to be Prime Minister one day. He should read up on the taxation system. 
It's like a giant GoFundMe page and people pay into it even when they don't want to. The taxation system includes Queensland, both in collections but also in disbursements. We have an emergency minister who's reluctant to spend the disaster relief fund, an environment minister who actively undermines the country's actions against climate change and who continues to incidentally facilitate extinctions. Our emissions reduction minister wants us to use gas and coal to achieve our net zero goals and he's convinced that selling fossil fuels into the distant future will assist greatly. No collection of the lost would be complete without the aged care minister who prefers the cricket. He is unaware of the, if the aged care residents have seen any improvement in their meals since the government handed the for-profit aged care owners an extra $460 million to improve nutrition. His boss, our health minister, has seemingly begun packing up his office. We have no protections, no policies in place, and we've suffered 1,540 recent deaths. That's 1,540, a number which would be a cause of national shame except for the fact that the government seems packed with soulless apparatchiks. There have also been 135,861 COVID infections in the past week, but the figure is known to be low, meaning incorrect because of the haphazard nature of our testing regime. There are really no words to describe how the Liberal Party has lowered the standard of Australian life. Their names are enough. Howard, Abbott, Turnbull and Morrison. Even dyed-in-the-wool libs are abandoning them, and you can't blame them. Thanks for listening. Mm, ask Bucko. He'll tell you. And you can find Bucko at askbucko.com. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. my face, scatter my rights all over the place and take the bread from off my plate but you can't break me lock me out chain the gates, put black shirts in with dogs and mace I'll hold the line, won't step away cause you can't break me I belong, you belong we belong to the union don't count me out when I'm on the floor, we'll win again, we've won the streets will ring with a mighty roar Cause you can't break me Stocks rise up on workers' backs Profits soar while you hand out the sack Boardroom bullies bloated and fat But you can't break me Australia's sold to mates offshore Backroom deals and chunky law This day has come, we say no more You can't break me I belong, you belong, we belong 
to fight I swear I'll never lay down and die I'm in the union, mate, got a right to belong We'll be back, million strong Women and men united as one Cause you can't break me There's a warning here to the men in grey The piper's come, it's time to pay We're taking back what you stole away Cause you can't break me I belong, you belong, we belong to the union I belong, you belong, we belong to the union And if you're a regular listener, or an irregular listener, you will have noticed that I like to play that song, We Belong to the Union, when it's very close to hearing from the BL from the bush. So I'm happy to tell you this morning that we will hear from the BL from the bush, the authentic voice of the BL from the bush. Stand by, hold on to your chairs and to your hats. Here he is. Yeah, g'day, uh, comrade, g'day, listener. It's the BL from the bush calling in. Uh, hoping you are all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And uh, can't have a better year than last. But the more things stay the same, the more they never change. Um, I see that this uh, cruel, vindictive, see struggling head coal Alition government is uh, still up to its old tricks of uh, do nothing, look over there, working out ways how to feather their own nests or keep their ass on the leather up there in Canberra and not worrying about what's actually in front of them. Well, now we'll see the uh, the true worth of um, this government with the, with the disasters that are here on our home shores in front of us. Uh, before I get going, uh, I'd just like to sh- send a bit of a cheerio out there to the bag man. Hello, comrade. Tell him you've been a bit butcher's hook, mate. Knowing you as we do, it takes a fair bit to keep you down and out for a while, so I'd reckon that you'd be uh, bouncing back pretty well. Good luck to you, comrade. We'll uh, be hearing from you soon, no doubt. Now, getting back to um, the Morrison... Um, Coalition government, as Suzanne touched on last week, we, we the, we the voter, so to speak. Some vote, some vote, some don't. But um, I think it's really up to us now, more so than ever, to really get out there and make a difference. And get out there and talk to all your friends, your family, anyone that'll listen to you, anyone on the tram, the train, whatever. Really push this the 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 barra of how inept, useless. Uh, look after themselves and stuff everyone else that their attitude towards governing is in this country. Um, if the last couple of years isn't proof, well, I don't know what is. I don't know what you really need to to really um, see how, uh, as I say, how inept this this government is. Anything that's that's really put in front of them that's that needs needs clear thinking, needs needs um, good governance, they've failed, failed miserably. 
And that's what happens when you win an election way back when and uh, didn't have policies or didn't have a clue how to govern. Well, you know, uh, what got us through pandemics and uh, the pandemic and whatever was, was the states, the governorship of the states, certainly not the federal and the federal level. They are just beside themselves. They'll do anything to keep themselves in power in the position that they're holding at the moment and stuff anything else around them. You've just got to look at the way they, they treat treat the most vulnerable in our society, the disabled and people on disability support, people on social security entitlements, always having a go, always kicking ahead, always making it hard for them. And uh, there's no reason why that won't get worse for those people who uh, enjoy those benefits, those hard-won benefits that they, uh, they're entitled to. They will just make it harder and harder. Perfect example of that is that you know they're still pushing this this reporting regime back to the parents. Still have to report back yearly that their child still has autism, having a having a, a, a spectrum autism spectrum of what what degree of of uh, autism they have. And uh, somewhere along the line, someone must have told them that there was a. Um, there's a cure for autism because the parents have still got to go back there and say, yes, um, doctor's, doctor's certificates or doctor's proof that their child still has autism. Now, I don't know about you, comrades, listener, but, uh, you know, how low can you go? How low can you go? How much more pain and suffering can you inflict on families than to put them through that every year? And given their way, it'll be two, two or three times a year if they get their right way. And also, just what... Susanna was talking about last week, listener, was that this cashless welfare card. Don't don't ever be conned into think, thinking that it's not there, it's not going to happen. It's there, it's ready to go, it's legislative, it's sitting there ready to be implemented into the system when at their choosing, when they want to do it. It is real, it's a fact, and it is there. That's for, that's for everyone on uh, any type of social security benefit or any type of pension or anything they'll just come along and say right you're you're in receipt of of funds you'll be you'll be obligated to uh to have this card so that's um that's always there to put in the back of your mind listener um it's at their discretion when and when they want to use it you know like it it just goes on that here 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 they are or here is morrison and just the arrogance the hubris of these people is that now he's trying to change the the rules within their own party. You know, the, this is this is the great uh, supporters and the great uh, drum beaters of democracy and everything. Yet they, they've got a democratic model in their own party, and here he is trying to destroy it, rip it apart, rip apart his own party. Well, I haven't got a problem with that, but what I do have a problem with is is with him standing up there in front of in front of everyone and telling them that he's the man for the job or him and his party's the man for the job to tell you and I what's good for the country when they can't even govern or they can't even they can't or they're trying to rip down their own rules within their own party to again to suit them to keep them on their asses and a bit of leather up there in Canberra something else to remember there uh, listener is just sit back and just take a, a bit of a deep breath and just look at what devastation that this mob really bring to the country and bring to themselves and then then as I say they want to turn around and and try and tell us what the best way to how to go and do things you know if if you ever needed any more uh, sort of prodding is just the the arrogance of this person the just the the sheer arrogance of him It, it took him 12 months or more to even 
consider or even talk about the the alleged rape of uh, Brittany Higgins up there in the House of Debauchery. Then he stands up there in Parliament there and gives this, oh, I'm a sorry speech, and what was that about? I mean, how long did it take him to do that? That's the other thing, uh, listener. Someone pushed a button somewhere and says, oh, it'd be good for the polls if you get up there, scrody. Get up there and just have a bit of a, you know, say, oh, geez, Brittany, it's, you know, it's bad uh, that that happened here. And, you know, we're doing our best to, uh, to, yeah, to, to get to the bottom of it. They're doing their best to make sure it doesn't happen. We, we don't get to the bottom of it. And uh, let alone a few of his mates up there too that are under a spotlight. But just, just that's just a few things to sort of to think about, listener. When you're talking to other people about trying to get rid of this mob, I, I certainly won't tell you to vote for, but I'll uh, probably tell you uh, who not to. <laughs> but uh, I just think that it's up to all of us to really get the message out there that this government is just no good. They're no good for anyone that's struggling, anyone, even wage earners. They are just always trying to find ways to make it hard, except for the ones that are well healed. So I'd just like to um, keep that in mind. I hope you keep that in mind. Just everyone to get out there and just talk up the the arrogance of this government, the the inconsistency of them, the the, the way that they've just let major uh, things in this country go go by the wayside, and that will continue if they do get re-elected. And the people that most, really most need support in our community will again be put under the under the heel of this coal election, mean, vindictive, see a struggling head, uh, kick it, government. That's about all I got for you this week, uh, comrades. Um, I uh, I just hope you are again all well, and to you, bagman, uh, chin up, comrade, and uh, all the best to you. So I'll go out in the same old way. Dare to struggle, dare to win. If you don't fight, you'll lose. Good morning from Left After Breakfast. 3CR And let's get some more working class culture from Comrade Natasha. In search of red eureka. I remember the Battle of Ballarat as the rebel flag and rebel chorus a militant unionist carries through the strife of life. All Eureka's children, lost in the historic oath, sworn by the Southern Cross. To stand truly beside each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. But who are Eureka's children who would swear that oath today? For how long our memories lost the wisdom of beauty in the imagination that saw the cross connection to the southern stars, hand sewn like silver hope on silken blue, staking its claim on the land bearing gold. The flag first flew from an 80-foot pole on Bakery Hill in 1854, where a huge yellow M now flies. Designed, they say, on watch by Captain Ross, who held the post to the point of death for those who dared to think, to speak, to act and live a rebel's oath. The flag was lost to troopers, lost in the memory of miners, lost to the children 
until awoken in Bar Calden in 1891 to lead the Shearers' strike. Then in Melbourne, May Day, 1938, marching in waves of red, white and blue solidarity under the sun, the stars and the southern sky. The standard has been waved each time Labour's been enslaved. In the 1960s, a builder's labourer recalling 17 nationalities, armed to hold the stockade, raised Eureka as an idea that grew and flew from slewing cranes, all waved proudly by the BLF in every demonstration against another unjust law, till torn down by politicians in fear of labour taking liberties. Great changes we have borne, o'er some in joy, o'er others mourn, wrote Ellen Frances Young, the Ballarat poetess. From a musty drawer, Evelyn Shaw drew the flag covered in the bloody grime of war, singed with bullet holes and cut by soldiers' bayonets, torn down by John King in seeming victory over the miners' insurgency. From the fragments of a violent history, Eureka's great-granddaughters reconstructed the strength and beauty of nature's design in petticoat lawn. Like the torn strips Phoebe Scobie used to staunch the blood of Peter Lawler as he lay fallen from battle, dying the white-red. I remember Mionono and his Garibaldi man Carboni as characters in a communist plot to turn the flag red over the sky crossed white. The banner is born under the ban of the law, then torn down and lost in memory until it meets another in common condition under the Southern Cross. We are all Eureka's children. The digger or the trooper can trace an emblem there. From descent, run back in blue or back through red blood lines, we meet across a picket line under those five perfect stars. The Eureka flag inspires our idea of who and what we are. Every idea has its flag. The most dangerous idea in the world has been freedom, but the most dangerous colour in the world is red. Thank you, Comrade Natasha, once again. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. I caught up with a 3CR resident historian and was able to have a little chat about the importance of history and why we need to know it. Well, good morning, Glenn. Hello, my dear. How are you today? I'm really good, Glenn, but I would like to ask you something that a couple of people, including my grandson, have asked me and said, why is history so important? 
history is very important. Um, look, I'm not a big fan of George Orwell, but Orwell once said, um, who controls the past controls the future. And who controls the present controls the past. Look, basically, if you don't know where you're coming from, how do you know where you're going? History is more than just empiricism. It's more than, you know, on this day, Betty Battenberg was on the throne. On this day, the whisky collapsed. On this day, the first man landed on the moon. But why do these things happen at these times? How do they happen? History of facts, and facts are stubborn things. But history goes beyond facts and as to investigate how they occurred, why they occurred. And the facts might be unchallengeable, but why they occurred is always scope of debate. History allows us to learn and change things. Which is why you said, if you don't know where you came from, how do you know where you're going to? Hmm. Because we can say, oh, yes, there was uh, a Sino-Japanese war. Hmm. There was a rise in agnosticism in the 17th century, but it's knowing why or hmm. the social situation in which they occurred. Is that what you're saying, Glenn? Yeah, as I said, you need to move on the empiricism and look at the, look at the dates, but as to why they occurred. Like, um, and again, history is very contested. In, the, in Australia, we have this, uh, some sort of fixations developed the last few decades about the invasion of Turkey called the Gallipoli Campaign, Antidote. It was a great day for Australia, and it, it set up as a nation. And like, well, no, 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 no. Gallipoli was a disaster, and why did we celebrate it? Like, and what I was young, we used to commemorate it. We had family who saw action. We we mourned those who didn't come back, and those who came back and were damaged. Nowadays, it's celebrated. It's been a change. So we need to continue the debate. And that's all I was saying. If we can't control the past, how do we control the present and the future? So everything must be contested. Yes, it is quite. Well, I could say weird, but it's more insane the way suddenly that the First World War and invasion of Turkey has suddenly changed into a celebration of Australian democratic values. When our boys were sent off by the British to Turkey because the leaders of England had all been educated in the classics and they all knew the history of Troy. Mm, And that's what they were doing, replaying Mm. Troy for their own amusement, really. Apart from the fact that the Dardanelles is a very important piece of seaway there, a big trading spot, always has been. Mm. It's always been a hub there of, well, of trade and a yep. good spot to hold. And look at the disaster, as you said, it was in you know, Gallipoli. But we did invade Turkey, and we didn't invade it to save Australian democracy. Why did we invade it, Glenn? Because we were told to. We're part of the British Empire... And you mentioned the British leaders were training the classics, you know, the Iliad, the Odyssey. I mean, and the disasters that unfolded in the Dardanelles in those times, as well as in 1915. It makes me think, hmm, someone once said, history repeats itself twice. First as a tragedy, then as a farce. And the invasion, of, it was a tragedy to invade. And a celebrated is a farce. It, it's a day to be solemn, to recognise the suffering and wonder why. Not to say it makes us a nation. And history poses these questions to us. And you know, it's like, look, when you and I went to school, we were taught about the history from above. We were taught the history of the leaders, the, the great men, the white man, or the white queen, you know. History from below, history of the working person, history of the indigenous person, history of women, that was, well, unless she was a queen, you didn't discuss these things. History keeps changing, keeps developing. And as I said, history's, history's a link to the past, and it's, it's a segue, and it's just 
And it's not setting conquerors. No, no brick wall saying, this is the past, and this is the present, this is the future. Because you and I have lived what was the past. We're living in the present. And as we move into the future, the present will become the past. And the future will become our present. So it's everything in flux, everything changes, everything moving around. So it's important to learn where you've come from and where you've got to. Like Some might say, oh, history's boring. I don't care. Oh, it matters to me. I want to go to Mars or Jupiter. Or something. I want to create something. Okay, well, you want to go to Mars. Has someone tried before? You know if you've tried. What did they achieve? Or you want to invent this machine? Has it been tried before? Who did it? What did they do? Look at history. You know, it gives you that guidance. History, as I said, it's... There's no Chinese wall separating the past, the present, the future. We all merge as one, and we learn from that process. And I think history is really important. I'm very grateful to have the chance to be on your show on 3CR discussing these topics. I like to ask my grandchildren, why is it called Mars? Hmm. Because it was named for, for the ancient Roman god of war, and it was named for the ancient Roman god of war because it was red. Hmm. And when they looked in the sky, as we do now, mm. they see red, a red planet, and it made them think of blood and, mm. of course, death and war. So they called it for Mars. It's actually rust. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I should have called it the rusty planet. I wonder if humans will reach Mars. Humans will go to Mars one day and explore Mars and visit Mars. But they'll only go to Mars because in the past they've been to the moon. In the past we've cruised satellites. We've been into, into the, the atmosphere and we've learned these things. So by learning where we've been, it gives the impetus to move forward. And it becomes part of human progress. History is about progress. It doesn't always mean it goes in a linear. It often goes forward and backwards. I'm sorry, what was that? Well, history isn't always linear, isn't always... It isn't always always linear. straightforward. It can often go forward and backwards, up and down, and just... But it's always there. And as I said, what's what's happened to your life five years ago is history. But what happened to us, it was the present then. And today was the future then. So there's no separation. It all sort of comes here. I'm not saying it's like one part of the same thing, but it's all part of our progress as, as a species, as humanity. So history's not about learning dates and things. That's empiricism. That's part of it. But if you leave it at dates, you're an empiricist. You don't know why those dates matter. Well, you're like, yeah, we know, but, you know, December 7, Japanese planes bomb Pearl Harbor. But why? What was the benefit? What was the background? So you need to know these things. I'll just try to date. And like, Anzac Day was April 25. That's fine. But why? Why did we invade another person's land? Why did men die over rocks and whatever else? What have we learned? And again... Yeah, what have we learned? As I said, it's why it's important to have a chance on your show to say these things, discuss these topics. And it's, you know, history is a living thing. It's always in development. It's always in process. I mean, look at, again, another issue close to home is the concept of terra nullius. For the best part of most two centuries, uh, Australian legal system said, you know, Australia was terra nullius when the white person invaded. It was unoccupied. Well, the Marbo decision was bullshit. And until then, the technology had been the, the, the falsehood, the mythology behind the invasion of white Australia. So history gives us this, we live in the past and moves us forward. And we're moving a long way now about reconciliation. A long way to go. But what happened in the Marbo decision in 92, demolishing the mythology of Terranolius, we couldn't achieve any sort of reconciliation. It's, it's part of the process. So we need it every day, this sense of history, it's knowledge of... Well, the social forces, the social mm. causes around it. Mm. Fanaticism in the last few decades. Not, yes. just in, not just Islam, in Christianity too. You have these, these people want to go back to some sort of mythological 
mystical world which never existed. Superstitious. Yeah. And again, we need to discuss these things. History is, history is the vehicle to allow us to understand these things, to ask why, and to learn. And again, we don't know everything. We can't always say we're right, but we love having these discussions, having these debates, and we all benefit from it. Humanity benefits. Oh, that's the important thing, isn't it? That is that is the one, yeah. Funny, I was just thinking of history. I was at the Queen Victoria Market the other day, standing in the car park, okay. which was an Aboriginal campsite originally. Then it was a, a female penitentiary, and then it was a cemetery yep. for all the early settlers. And when there was talk of ripping out the cemetery and building a market there, and you know, no respect for the dead whatsoever, none. Except in 1922, there was an uproar from many people in Melbourne and they basically crowdfunded a thing back to say, you cannot do this. And what they did is they got the Melbourne City Fathers to disinter the bodies and reinter them elsewhere up in Carlton. And they took out 994 graves or something. There are more than 10,000 people buried there. More than 10,000 of them buried under there. And the ones who are under the car park are mainly the Quaker and Aboriginal and Chinese graves. Why the Quakers there? Oh, because they had their own separate little part. There was an Anglican part and a Catholic part and some other denominational part and a Quaker part and a Chinese part. And, of course, an Aboriginal part. You don't want them next to the white people, do you? That's what they thought at the time. And the Jewish section? No, there was no Jewish section. They must have always had their own spot somewhere. You'd wonder how... Well, they have this section in the Melbourne, in the seventeen thousand. Yeah, they so, do. Oh, well, you learn things. That's what history is about: learning these things. Because again, without knowing why they were buried there, how would we know why they were there? And I was thinking then, um, those people in nineteen twenty-two, they had no idea that all these people were buried there. You know, it was. 50, 60 years ago, 70 years ago to them. 80 years ago. How could they recall that? Or how would they even know of it? And now in the 21st century, people mm. now are saying, oh, look at the progress. They're building beautiful luxury apartments in Queen Victoria Market over graves. Mm. But they don't know they're there and it's history that should be known. Mm. I'm not saying blindly keep everything. But at least acknowledge the basis for it. Okay, we, we can't demolish these skyscrapers, but there's a plaque here. They are going to do what the city fathers and the developer will do is place four plaques, little ones, Good. tiny ones, on each corner of where the bodies are. But it's a recognition, it's something. I suppose there wouldn't be much left to those bodies now, would there? Well, <laughs> it was it pain they buried in coffins, you know? Who knows what they buried? Were they buried? Who knows? I mean, and most of them had headstone markers of red gum. And, of course, after a while, the mm. red gum headstones were stolen. Well, it's like when I was in Ireland. I can't find... I can find family stuff in Deutschland, but in Ireland, graveyard marks. You had a bit of money, you had a headstone. You had no money. You, you, they buried over the corner somewhere. Which corner? One of those corners. Well, which corner? I can't find them, you know? And that's what it's like. And it's just... It's part of understanding this is how humanity has progressed and proceeded over centuries. And how we forget what went before. And that's why I was saying earlier, if you don't know where you're coming from, how do you know where you're going? And that's one of the pleasures about doing history on the radio. It meant to share that knowledge and to share that understanding. Well, I'm very grateful for your input, your historical segment on this program, Glenn. Thank you for the offer. And um, I'm grateful to be on 3CR, which is the uh, only radio left. To speak a bit of a bit of history, 
And the words my forebears? Chocula. Chocula. 3CR. And while we're talking about history, please let me indulge myself with a little bit of medieval music. I love this stuff. trying to learn to play that on the recorder at school, the old day count recorder. I didn't learn it too well. Mind you, I didn't really try too well either. That was my fault and my loss. 
But anyway, talking of lofts, it's time for us to go now. Thanks again for coming along with Left After Breakfast. Thanks for the ride. Thanks for joining me. And I hope to see you again and you can listen to us again. Come along with us. Same time, same place next week.